Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert in a big furry hurry, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm not unworried film scholar Noelle LaCroix, <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Afterlife, the third episode of season six. Afterlife aired on October 9th, 2001. It was written by Jane Espenson and directed by David Solomon. As ever, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. So if you are spoiler sensitive, consider this your spoiler warning. The thing about magic, there's always consequences. Always. Let's go on patrol. As the Scoobies move through the mean and currently on fire streets of Sunnydale, they wonder if they screwed it up and Buffy's broken. Meanwhile, Dawn brings Buffy back to the house and gets her cleaned up. Spike comes in yelling for Dawn and then he sees Buffy on the steps. At first he thinks she's the bot, but then he realizes it's her and can't speak for a minute. He sees her injured hands and takes her over to the couch while sending Dawn to fetch bandages. He sits with her and she asks how long it's been. 147 days yesterday. Uh, 148 today. Except today doesn't count, does it? How long was it for you? Where you were? Longer. Everyone comes back and Spike leaves without a word. They crowd Buffy, asking if she's okay, asking what she needs. But all she wants to do is go to sleep. You know, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, jet lag from hell has got to be, you know, jet lag from hell. Xander and Anya leave to be confronted by Spike, who's pissed that he was left out of the loop on this one. He says that he knows why, because Willow knew that if Buffy came back wrong, she'd have to kill Buffy. And she also knew that Spike wouldn't let her. That night, Willow worries that something's wrong with Buffy. She expected Buffy to be happier, to be grateful, which, when you think about it, is solipsistic as hell, but, you know, whatever. She and Tara go to sleep, but wake up in the middle of the night to a vision of Buffy throwing their crystal ball against the wall as she shouts at them about rattling the bones. When they turn on the lights, however, Buffy isn't there. There's no shattered glass, and the crystal ball is intact. They check in on Buffy, and she's peacefully asleep in her room. Maybe we dreamed it. Right. Right. Wrong. Different brains. Willow calls Xander to tell him what happened, and while they're on the phone, Anya walks in with her eyes all white as she holds a bloody knife and cuts into her face. She drops to the floor, unconscious and unbloodied. The four meet in Buffy's backyard, trying to figure out what in the frilly heck is going on, and Buffy comes in and tells them that the night before she saw them turning to skeletons in all her photos. So, that's weird. She decides to go on patrol and the Scoobies get to researching in the magic box. Anya delivers coffee and Dawn's eyes go white and she yells at them and then breathes fire all over the books. They get the fire out and Dawn comes too. I bet you'll experience some dry mouth. Out on patrol, Buffy walks into Spike's crypt and he sits with her. She doesn't want to talk, so he does, and tells her about his experience since she's been gone. But I want you to know I did save you. Not when it counted, of course, but after that. Every night after that. I'd see it all again. I'd do something different. Faster, more clever, you know. Dozens of times, lots of different ways. Every night I save you. 
Back at the magic box, Willow figures out that their spell created a demon. And sure, it wants to kill them all, but that's only for a little while. In order for it to stay, it has to kill Buffy, and... That's not gonna happen. Thanks for the tip. Back at Buffy's, the demon that is non-corporeal is able to smack Buffy around. Xander, Anya, and Dawn rush back while Willow and Tara do a non-euphemistic spell and make the demon corporeal, at which point Buffy cuts its head off, so... All's good? That's probably the sort of thing I'm not supposed to see, right? The next day, Buffy goes to the magic shop and tells everyone that she was in hell and thanks them for getting her out. When she steps out to the back alley, she finds Spike there and they talk. She tells him that she was in heaven, that she was happy, at peace, done, complete. And she was pulled out by her friends. This is hell. She sees his stunned expression, gets up and starts to walk away, but says one last thing before walking into the sunlight where he can't follow her. I can never know. Never. All right, Noel. So, um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Usually, I ask your opinion. I'm gonna start by offering my own. Afterlife has never been my favorite episode. Now, I'm a big fan of Jane Espenson, and I do think that there are things like in a big furry hurry and what in the frilly heck is going on. <laughs> These are things that are very Espensonian. She has this wonderful play with very fun and quirky language that I absolutely adore. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Um, but this episode has never been my favorite. The the thing I always remember from this episode that makes me look forward to it is the spike stuff because I some of my favorite spike stuff in the entire series happens in this episode so knowing how I feel about spike that moves it up on my list of like favorite Buffy episodes but the actual like demony stuff in here um, has never really felt right uh, for me and I've never enjoyed it that much which is funny because this is the episode that in our notes I have like more notes than anything. You have like, so many notes. Just, like, I've had so <laughs> many ideas while thinking about this episode. So it's funny because there are some episodes that are like really super good. And then you're like, yeah, it's real good. And you don't really feel like you have a whole lot to talk about because it's just, yeah, that was great. You know? Yeah. Um, but there are, there are episodes that sometimes have a misstep that you're like, Ooh, you know, what is this? Or they, they kind of, um, evolve the uh, the mythology of the world and you're like, ooh, you know, what is that? Um, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And I always find it so interesting that some of the more mediocre episodes actually launch some of the more interesting discussions, which I'm looking forward to having. So having said that, what's your response to Afterlife? Once again, as with many of the, to my way of thinking, mediocre episodes, it's not mm-hmm. that the episode is just kind of meh overall. There's like high points and low points and things that I really love and respond to and things that I really don't. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's there's like a lot going on here as evidenced by our whatever it is, seven pages of notes. (laughs) (laughs) Like usually we'll have like four pages of notes and this is is a lot of notes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Spike. There's some amazing Spike in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some not great demon stuff in this episode. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to start with the, like, do we do the good news or the bad news first? What are we doing? Oh, uh, you know, if you ask me, do I want to start with Spike? You know, the answer is going to be like, yeah. 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 Let's yeah. talk about Spike. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so how, how did you feel about the whole Spike thing? Let's yeah. talk about Spike. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, something we didn't talk about. <laughs> Spike's abject sorrow over Buffy's death. 
Yeah. I can't believe yeah. I can't believe I didn't call out that shot in the gift. I mean, there's yeah. that there's that, well, there's so much going on. There's so in much the in the gift. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in addition to that lovely, just gorgeous group shot of all the Scooby yeah. mourners and Buffy's body, it's like a we don't even take on Michelangelo's Pieta. There's yeah. also a close-up of Spike holding his head and just sobbing. Yeah. Which, you know, it's really important to everybody behind the scenes that we, the audience, see this moment of his reaction. Because everyone else is kind of standing there in, like, stunned silence. But Spike falls apart um, yeah. when Buffy dies. Mm-hmm. And that... I mean, we see it in the previously on in this episode, and that really informs the rest of Spike in this episode. Like it really, it really, you see how Spike has responded and is responding to Buffy being gone. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love the way he scolds Dawn. Yeah. Because we know, like we know that he Mm -hmm. has made this promise to protect her and he's going to continue to uphold that even with Buffy. Well, yeah. I mean, we especially saw that last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. with Buffy out of the picture. But he's so mad at her. And it's so cute. Oh, and my God. I love scared. it. I could rip your head off one handed and drink, drink from, from your, your brain stem. He's like, <laughs> yes. Oh, it's like, wonderful. It's a, it's a great sort of vampire. You scared me half to, to death, death or, or more to death. death. <laughs> <laughs> I love the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, let's take a moment and talk about Spike's pain because it is so interesting. Like, um, you know, we've talked quite a bit about this development of, you know, uh, what does it mean to love without a soul? And is that love always going to be essentially corrupted yeah. without a soul? Um, and the thing that's funny is that Spike, it feels like there's this transformative power to his pain, right? That in instead of him, you know, like we saw him in the beginning when he first discovered that he was in love with Bucky, Buffy and had that realization, he was trying to be a good man. And there he was when in Triangle, when the the, um, the bronze got knocked apart by Olaf the troll, right? And he's helping the bloody victims. And he's like, I didn't even taste. Yep. And Buffy's like, you want credit for that? Like, this is where we start with Spike's... The chip isn't what makes Spike good. The chip is what makes him neutered, right? But Mm -hmm. it doesn't make him good. Um, His love for Buffy doesn't make him good and do things for others because it's best for others. If he does something for somebody else, it's because he's trying to get something from her. She dies, right? And that marks a transformational space for him, you know? I think which starts when he takes that beating to protect Dawn. Yeah. Right. Um, But it is, again, that's pain. Like there is a transformative power of pain for Spike that kind of moves him through these stages of empathy. Um, In his review for Fool for Love over on the Passion of the Nerd YouTube channel, which I really highly recommend, Ian Martin talked about the psychologist Paul Ekman's separation of empathy into three basic types, cognitive, emotional, and compassionate, with cognitive being the kind of empathy that Spike has shown to date, right? He understands on an intellectual level how other people experience the world, and he uses that empathy to manipulate people. And he has been doing that since the beginning. 
beginning, um, especially in season four is the Yoko factor. We see him textually using that understanding, that cognitive empathy um, in order to manipulate people. And lots of evil people do that. Your better uh, psychopaths and sociopaths are excellent with that particular kind of empathy, um, which also allows them to pretend that they have real empathy because they do understand how you feel. It's just that at that level, they don't really care. They're using how you feel and their understanding of how you feel to manipulate and to, to get whatever it is that they want. Um, the other two types of empathy are emotional, where you feel everything others are feeling, experiencing the world somewhat like Buffy does in Earshot, um, and compassionate, which is the healthiest kind. It is, is a mix of the two, where you can cognitively understand how people are feeling and how things look from their perspective, but you can also feel for them, but it doesn't overwhelm you. Um, compassionate is the healthy type of empathy. Uh, I am the emotional type. <laughs> I live my life like Buffy in Earshot. I'm working on it. Um, but as I watch this and I see Despite grappling with emotional empathy, um, because that is really what he has. He understands how she had to crawl out of her grave and what that feels like. He asks how long it was for her and what her experience was. Um, he he intuits when she comes to his crypt and doesn't want to talk that she can't. And so he talks, you know? Yeah. Um, it's so interesting to watch how... His pain transforms him into this emotional empathy space where he can, he's both got cognitive and emotional empathy and his ability to balance them. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, like Buffy in Earshot or like me on any random Tuesday, right? You know, where you're just feeling everything that everybody else feels, you know, um, that gets exhausting. But he is kind of in this space. He's still essentially corrupted by the demon. He's still a monster and we can't forget that. But the the difference between, you know, Spike in season four and even at the beginning of season five to what the pain of loving Buffy has has made him feel, we are seeing him transform in a way and the transformative power of, of emotional pain. Um, I find really interesting. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know that I have anything um, conclusive to say about it. But I find that so interesting in the experience of Spike, I think, which we are starting to see very textually, you know, in this episode. Yeah. And this is, for me, the episode where the real, like a real meaningful connection between Buffy and Spike forms. Like this yeah. is this is where this is where I see how they could be drawn to each other with some kind of a balanced mm -hmm. force. Um, yeah. And I think I think it's it's shot really beautifully. I think there's a mm -hmm. lot in the the direction like the like yeah. literally where the frame is mm -hmm. um, in this moment of Buffy coming down the stairs and Spike oh is there. God. So oh my God. we see, so as Buffy's coming down the stairs, we get this like point of view shot mm -hmm. on Spike and the camera is sort of moving down as she's moving down. But it's really more, I mean, I call it a POV shot. It's more of an eyeline match because yeah. of where the frame is on mm -hmm. James Marsters. It's closer than what her true point of view right. would be that's the difference mm -hmm. between an eyeline match shot and a point of view shot we kind of use sure. them interchangeably when we talk about them but you know mm -hmm. if you want to get like hyper specific about it but 
What's interesting to me about this shot is that it's the closest we've seen anyone in the frame so far. We're almost eight minutes mm-hmm. into the episode. Yeah. And we haven't been this close, like the border of the yeah. <laughs> the border of the picture that we're seeing is mm-hmm. so tight. And it's a weirdly tight close up. The frame mm-hmm. cuts him off at this strange point so that the top of his head is cut off. Mm-hmm. So we don't see the top of his head, but we do kind of see more of his chest area than we normally would yeah. in a close-up shot, which mm-hmm. suggests to me that Buffy can't look him in the eye. Like, yeah. she's highly attuned to him. She's doing that, you know, that emotionally close-up thing that we communicate mm-hmm. with close-up shots. But the overall effect is this kind of forced closeness between Spike yeah. and Buffy. Um, Mm -hmm. Even before he notices her hands and makes the connection to where she was and, you know, the the origin of those injuries and what happened to her, Buffy Mm -hmm. is feeling a stronger connection to him than she's felt to even to Dawn so far in this episode, whether she likes it or not, which I really (laughs) like, I really appreciate. I appreciate that kind of reluctance in the framing itself Mm -hmm. to make a connection with Spike because, I mean... We know, we know how Buffy feels about Spike or how she thinks she feels about Spike. Mm-hmm, Their mm-hmm. relationship is already incredibly complicated, but it just got yeah. way more complicated. In yeah. the, like in this moment, this moment of recognition. Yeah. Um, and that's where, that's where for me, the Buffy Spike relationship, like capital R relationship really takes right. off. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And this moment too, like honestly, the moment when he sees her and the 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 mix of emotions on his face, like the what he goes through, what James Marsters expresses in silence in this this series of expressions is so unbelievably powerful. And it is honestly, in all of the run of Buffy, one of my absolute favorite moments. This is the thing that when I watch it, I stop and I go back and I watch it again and I watch it again. Um, and I love, you know, he thinks it's the Buffy bot and then he realizes it can't be the Buffy bot because the Buffy bot was destroyed. Right. And then he sees her and his has this look of wonder on yeah. his face like he can't cognitively comprehend what it is that he's seeing but he's happy but it's a sta- like he doesn't understand he's in shock and it's so wonderful to see like that series of emotions playing out in that in that silence where she can't look at him you know and then he reaches out pulls you know like guides her down but doesn't touch his touch her yes. like he's about to touch her shoulder and then he doesn't I... which i love it's so good it's so good i love that moment because it's not played up in close you know we've had this close-up we've seen him do all of this wonderful processing we see i mean james marsters does a fantastic job Mm -hmm. communicating non-verbally in this moment but we don't have a close-up on that moment where he kind of snaps out of it Mm-hmm. And then he's going to guide her down the stairs and he puts his hand out to touch her shoulder. And then he realizes what he's doing and he just like jolts his hand back. Yeah. It's those little physical choices that oh really God. help to tell a character's story and let the audience into their emotional landscape without any dialogue. But it's as they're moving, like it's so subtle and so good, but so powerful. 
Yeah. No, and it's so incredibly wonderful. And then he sits. Then they sit down together. Just rests her hands in his. And the thing is, is that um, she lets him. She puts her hands in his. Yeah. And lets him. And they just look at each other. And she says, how long has it been? Mm-hmm. And he, you know, 147 days, 148 today. But I guess today doesn't count, yeah. which I love. Like, he's been counting the, the days. And um, and he's, how long was it for you? Right. Yeah. And that he asks her that he is thinking about how it was for her is the kind of thing that, yes, you would expect from somebody who loves somebody. At yeah. the same time, like, it is not the kind of thing that people who have been through that kind of pain they tend to see things through their own, you know, experience, which we're going to see with Willow yeah. uh, later on, that she, her solipsism in this whole process is a kind of astounding, especially for Willow. But we're going to get to that in a minute. But that he has this ability to see her, you know, and she talks to him in a way that she doesn't talk to anybody else. She yeah. basically withholds herself and keeps herself back. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and in terms of the the direction and the mm. blocking here, we, are, we allow them to be a couple in this moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, they sit yeah. down facing each other. They hold hands like they're dancing, which I love. It's that yes. kind of swing dancing, yes. handhold mm-hmm. pose, which I just, you know, yes, it's practical because her knuckles are all ripped up right. but it's incredibly it's incredibly tender and it's then incredibly intimate it yeah. is a really intimate moment between them and then yeah. their whole little conversation happens in that one shot there's no yeah. close-ups we don't move away from them they just yeah. sit there together mm-hmm. so that the emotional resonance is about these two characters sitting together holding hands yeah which yeah. i think i said did i say last time that season six is about relationship Yes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. yeah. not just romantic relationships, but relationships like adult mm-hmm. relationships. How about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And this to me is really the beginning of a a a more equal relationship between the two. I mean, they're balanced in the frame. He's wearing black. Mm-hmm. She's wearing white. They're these like right. mirrors of each other, but also mm-hmm. equals. And then, of course, Don swoops in and the group swoops in and the camera swoops away from them. It just like right. leaves them there. And he just in the back of the frame just leaves. Well, it's like, so We don't funny. make a big deal yeah. over him leaving because we've got all of this energy and focus on the Scoobies as they come in and discover Buffy. And he just quietly leaves in the background. It's well, it's a weird bit of blocking that I noticed mm-hmm. and just made a note of but i don't really know yeah. what to say about other than it feels mm-hmm. very theatrical they yes. swoop in they come in through the front door which is in the like it would be the you know the back of the frame mm-hmm. he right. walks toward the camera loops around the group and then exits behind them and it feels yeah. very much like theater like we yes. see him leave but to the scoobies who are focused on buffy yeah, he he's just not even kind there. of sweeps or, you know, he sort of yeah. Batman's away um, mm-hmm. and off to the, you know, the outdoors where he's going to. Yeah, he's going to contemplate what it means that he was left out of all of this. Right. Which, again, such an interesting, emotionally complicated yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, And do we believe him about Willow and why he was left out? I don't know. Um, I think, uh, yeah, like, I, I actually, it doesn't really, 
res like what he says aside from the thing about magic is there's always consequences always right. as he leaves as he swoops as he as Batman's he motorcycles out away him, right? yeah like <laughs> that is that is a moment that I think yes. resonates throughout the rest of the story whereas this accusation that this is why he was left out I think that we do see some evidence for that but we don't really spend a lot of time with it Xander asks the question later with Willow right and mm-hmm. says did you know right and it's not Willow who responds it's Tara yeah. no she's a powerful witch she would never do anything to hurt anybody which is not um, an answer to the question right which is not an answer to That's the question and then Right. And then, you know, Willow comes in with other stuff and, and, you know, does not directly answer that question. So I think that textually we are given some evidence that Spike is right. And Spike's ability to, I mean, his cognitive empathy is on his his cognitive empathy game is on point this guy has been a psychopath for years and nobody does cognitive empathy better than a psychopath or a sociopath um and that's what he's been for this whole time that is kind of the defining characteristic of a i don't know that i would diagnose spike i think spike Mm. is i mean yeah no i'm not diagnosing i'm comparing (laughs) i don't know that i would go there i mean he's definitely He's definitely doing the the you know internal push pull yeah. of like the demon spike and the spike mm-hmm. who is something else entirely um, yeah. that enables him to have these quote unquote he's human relationships. His own, yeah, right. He's feeling his own emotions totally. in this moment, you yes. know. Um, but he's also, but like the thing is too that like I fought beside you all summer, like. That why wasn't I told? Yeah. Why wasn't I in the loop? That he's he's upset because of this decision. Also knowing that Willow knows that if she came back wrong, Willow would have to get rid of her and I wouldn't let her. Mm-hmm. I would stop her. So it isn't that he would have stopped her from doing the spell. We know that he wouldn't. He certainly didn't stop Dawn from trying to bring Joyce back under much more, right. you know, much hairier circumstances, right? Uh, mystically speaking, much hairier circumstances. <laughs> um, and so we know he would have gone along with it, but he also would have, like, however Buffy came back, he would have taken her and also i would argue and especially with things that as we move forward in the season i think there's textual evidence for this that if buffy came back wrong spike would have liked that right Mm. it's like frankenstein's monster Mm. wanting a monster that is like him right Mm. he wants buffy in the dark with him and when he thinks that buffy came back wrong what does he say to her when he can hit her you came back wrong. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, coming up later in the yeah. season. Yeah. But I mean, all of those things, I think, are things that Spike, if Buffy came back wrong, if Buffy came back demonic, yeah. I, I think that he would he would have taken that he because it would have made her more accessible to him. Well, he's very you know? invested in this narrative that he's got going in this episode yeah. until that very last conversation that mm-hmm. they are similar. The yeah. thing that... The thing that sort of propels him to action in that first scene with the two of them mm-hmm. is, I've done it. I I know why her hands mm-hmm. are cut up. I've done it myself, yeah. which mm-hmm. has he? But anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. In the moment, in the moment, he's connecting with her mm-hmm. on this level that to him is deeply meaningful because yeah. he now feels like he has a connection to her. And an understanding right. of her experience that no one else can have, right. um, which is it's 
it is interesting to see how he 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 really wants that to be the story. Mm-hmm. He really wants that to be what she's going through. Um, yeah. You know, we get this, we get the Buffy spike. It's like a three beat, right? We get yeah, three no, Buffy we do spike. Have a three beat. It's like a proper three beat. Mm-hmm. She comes to his crypt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because of course she does, right? Because like, who of else are you going to go does. to? Who else are you going to go right. to? And yeah. he's like, He's very cute in his, like, mm-hmm. you can sit down. Oh. I got furniture. <laughs> you, you should can't see the downstairs. Nice it's quite posh. Here. Like, he's been, <laughs> what is he even doing? He's been fixing up his crypt while yeah. she's gone. Yeah. He's somehow. Little Home Depot. There you go. He's going, keeping house. Yeah. But at the same time, before before he goes upstairs to find her there, he's punching the wall. Yeah. He's, he is inflicting the kind of physical pain on himself that he imagines she's experiencing. And then there's that little moment where she notices mm-hmm. he said he is telling her she has to be careful. Mm-hmm. And she says, all she says to him is your hands hurt. And he says, same yeah. to you. Right. And it's this great. He's creating that reflection, yes. right? Yeah. That, that there's a reflection between him and Buffy, which is always interesting when you talk about vampires and reflections, yeah. right? That they can't see themselves, but you're reflected in the people around you, yeah. right? You know, and here he is seeing himself reflected in Buffy, um, which I find really, really super interesting. And wanting um, even yeah. more close, clo- wanting even more closeness to her by yeah. way of this self-inflicted injury. It's a really... A mildly disturbing moment, I think, that he's... Right. Well, he, you know, I mean, he feels like he he's... Is, the difference between, like, sex and pain and violence and all of that, and love, like, for for Spike, I think those lines are, are super blurry, you yeah. know? Um, and pain is something that he can feel and he can inflict, and he also will heal from you know, fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I find it really interesting. Then, like, she comes into the crypt and she can't talk, right? So he talks. Yeah. And he says, you know, I'm sorry. And every night I save you. And he goes he through this whole thing for her. doesn't say I'm sorry, which is where I bounce in oh, this scene. Oh, doesn't he? Because he says, I know I made a promise. He says, he, he talks about yeah. the promise. She's mm-hmm. not speaking. They sit down again, facing each other again. Yeah. Once again. And he starts to talk about the promise he made to protect Dawn. And he says, if I'd done that, you wouldn't have you had, wouldn't to, have had jump. to jump. Mm-hmm. And that is the moment where he has this opportunity to say, I'm sorry. And he doesn't. I mean, to right. my way of he thinking. He expresses. Right? I, th- I feel like he expresses regret. He expresses regret. He illustrates, not... I'm sorry. He doesn't say it, but I think he illustrates it. Does he, though? Because... Every he, night he, I save you. See, I Every hate night. that. I fucking yeah. hate that. Really? Yes. Okay, why do you hate I that? Do. I like, okay, I like the sentiment and I like what we learn. We, the mm-hmm. audience, learn about Spike in this moment that he has been replaying this and he feels mm-hmm. a sense of responsibility for it. But it really, to me, feeds into that. It was so hard for me when you died kind of thing. Oh, it which was is, about me thing. Yeah. yeah it's very mm-hmm. much about him and like his reassuring himself and her that like i i don't know there's something there's something selfish about it and i obviously he's not a perfect person like it is fine for him to be selfish but for Mm -hmm. me that that 
every night I save you bit. I just I don't like it. I love it. Um, And to me, I think because I read it differently, like I read it that she's there. He sees that she can't talk. Right. So he starts to talk and that this is him, like, even though he doesn't say the words, I'm sorry, I've always read it as an I'm sorry. And that he is and he's almost you know, making light of it in a certain way um, that he's like, he's like, I do want you to know every night I've saved you like that. He um, it, he almost makes a joke out, out of the fact that every night he thinks about how he might have done it differently and how he could have done it differently. And I think that that sense of his self torment in thinking about this every single night, 147 days, 148 today, but today doesn't count mm-hmm. um, that he, he thinks about this and he lives in that moment and he lives in his own failure, that he is expressing his regret to her. Um, and, and to me, it feels like an apology. And honestly, I think I'd rather hear that from someone who was like, it's easy to say, I'm sorry. I think it's harder to illustrate I'm sorry, I failed you. And I'm, you know, like, this is something that I did. And I feel responsible for it. And I continue to feel responsible for it. And I continue to live it. Um, And I don't think that he's looking for absolution from her. I don't think he's looking for anything from her. Um, And this is, you know, and I actually wrote like in this fantasy, it's not about him. It's about her. It's about what he could have done to save her, even if I didn't make it. You know, it would have been better if I had saved you if I had not you know, if you didn't have to jump. Um, So I see all of that. I read that in a completely different way and I love it, but I think it's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing about like the emotional resonance of individual Mm -hmm. lines and everything that surrounds them and like how we, how we interpret them. I think, I think there's a lot with Buffy in general, but I think Mm -hmm. especially with, the Buffy Spike relationship that is open to interpretation and how mm-hmm. you receive it obviously is read like we read everything through the lenses of our oh, own yeah. experiences, right? Oh, which absolutely. is yeah. which is again, I mean, partly what this episode is about, right? Like mm-hmm. I love that how this whole situation mm-hmm. we'll get to the demon in a minute, but how this oh, whole situation yeah. looks is different mm-hmm. to everyone based on their experiences. I mean it's it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I just don't. It feels to me like he's unloading on her in that moment. Okay. Yeah. No, um, I think that I think that's I mean, clearly I it's do a valid like read. It, you read it. Yeah. But what mm-hmm. I do like about it is that he doesn't really know how to talk to her now. Yeah. That there's this this change has happened for both of them. And she wants to be with him. Mm -hmm. apparently but also doesn't really know what to say to him and then he doesn't know what to say to her and he's kind of joking at first about you know willow's getting pretty powerful and it's hard to get a good night's death around her right Mm -hmm. and the humor is just not landing like he is making (laughs) jokes and she's just stoic and he's like well fuck you know i mean she can't i think he's just you know He's scrambling because he's feeling we know. I mean, we know this Mm -hmm. from their previous scene together and from everything that he's said to Xander and Anya. You know, we know that he's feeling literally all of the emotions right now. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point that like he manhandles Xander and if he flinches, we don't really see it. 
Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. Like, I was thinking like, about that. He manhandles Xander, and like, where's the chip now? I mean, you know, I, I mean, again, of, there's the thing if he doesn't intend to do pain, although I don't he know. Just pointed He's... the gun. We we play with the chip. We we play fast and loose with ha- exactly how well this chip works. But what know? I love is that at this point, at least with Spike and Xander, like Spike mm-hmm. does not care. Yeah. If manhandling Xander gets him zapped in the head for a moment, like it's worth yeah. it. I yeah. There's something about that that I love mm-hmm. that yeah. S- with respect to Xander in particular, the spike right. is just so like manhandling Xander. You know, is worth it. But yeah. like, you know, killing people and drinking fresh blood is not. You know, yeah. like it's not enough. You know, maybe but, it's the amount of pain. Maybe the, it's commensurate. Maybe the zap is commensurate to the amount maybe. of pain that he's inflicting. And he doesn't intend to inflict pain on Xander at that moment. He just wants to shove him up against a tree. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, that's interesting. But, but then B3, yeah. Spike and oh Buffy in the daylight, B3. which I mean, <laughs> in the daylight uh, this beat is so beautiful and I think my favorite part of this beat she comes out and he says oh you know I'll go and then goes to the uh, to the edge of the darkness the yeah. edge of the shadow right goes to the edge of the shadow and looks into the light literally toes the line toes literally the line. toes the line literally toes the line and then she says it's okay I can, I can be, be alone, alone with you, you here. here which to me as I'm like I'm I'm reading of course everything through the lens of our own experience and on the one sense I can be alone with you here is like okay you know I guess right which is like, his that's... response he's like oh thanks a lot he says oh <laughs> I see I always read it as thanks ever so you know because he's like and now I don't have to step into the sunlight and dust myself which I would do for you my lady you know this kind of thing I would dust myself um, in a moment's notice just to say the word yeah. for your convenience yes um but there's also something about the idea of I can be alone with you here, um, which on the one hand, it says I can like part of why Buffy is comfortable with Spike. Part of it is that she doesn't. He's the only one she doesn't care how, what he thinks or how he feels like she doesn't care. So she doesn't have to be careful around him, you know? Yeah. But there's also something about the kind of real communion you know, that you can have with somebody else where you're so comfortable with them that even when you're with them, you can feel as comfortable as you feel alone. Now, I think that for people who I think maybe not everybody has this kind of experience, but like for me, as somebody with, you know, the very damaging and not at all you know, doesn't it all speak to my character, uh, emotional empathy, right? That like, <laughs> I am constantly like putting feelers out when I'm with anybody, how are they feeling? How are they responding? What's going on? What are the expressions? Like, it's this constant emotional calculus that is going on in my head for me to like, understand what's going on with them and how they're feeling. And if they're not feeling great, if they're, you know, having a bad time, I feel that and that makes me less able to be present for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, so yeah, my emotional empathy is not like a great thing about me. Um, So for me, like, even though I'm an extrovert, and I get my energy from being around people I have to be by myself a lot of the time because I'm just it's just too fucking exhausting so for me if I was able to sit with somebody and be alone with them there 
Like mm-hmm. that would be something that I, I would have to be so comfortable with them. I would have to trust them so much that I don't have to do that, that constant emotional calculus, right? Um, so for me, when I read that line, I read it as, oh, like how touching is that? Now that may not be, I don't think it's the way Buffy means it. And I don't think it's, and I think it's, it's kind of more of an insult probably that yeah. like, I so, I so don't care about you, um, that it doesn't bother me, you know, that you're here. Like you don't count as human to yeah. me, you know? It's um, a, it's a but I read line. it with that, like, yeah. I read it in this like, oh, you know, and that may just be, again, that's my lens. Oh, I this. love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, it's, I, I think it's my favorite line. I think it's my mm-hmm. favorite moment in this yeah. episode. It's okay. I can be alone with you here is incredibly powerful because yeah. what she wants in that moment is to be alone. Mm-hmm. I can have what I want with you mm-hmm. here. I yeah. can be like she wants to be alone because she feels out of sync with her friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, And in this moment, she's just lied to them. So I can be alone with you here is also I don't have to I can be unselfconscious. I can feel whatever it is that I am truly feeling Mm -hmm. and not put up this front of, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to be happy and gratitude. Yeah, that's true. It's such an incredible moment of intimacy. Um, And I love it. And then she tells him then she tells him the truth the truth mm-hmm. you know and i love it she tells him the truth then she walks into the light where he cannot follow her they can never know and then just walks away and that choice for her to leave all of this in the shadow with him mm-hmm. um i love that scene and that's why when we talk about afterlife and we are going to talk about the sucky stuff in just a little bit when we get to the demon but um when we talk about afterlife like this is the stuff that makes this one of my favorite episodes yeah i mean i said it at the top of the show like the powerful stuff in this episode is really powerful it it's is. real it good is. yes it's real good and for me i mean i i mean i'm coming down on it like this is the beginning of mm-hmm. a true relationship for Buffy yeah. and Spike and it's kind of like all right here a we relationship go. in which Buffy is actually participating yes like up until now Buffy has not participated really in this relationship it has been he is useful when he is useful I will call him to me you know mm-hmm. um, but it has been very much a general soldier kind of relationship you know and how he felt about her you know wigged her out a little bit but it wasn't something that she was overly concerned about and she's still not overly concerned with how he feels about her right now his ability to see her because he is the only one who really sees her in this episode yeah. um that is something that um, that I think she is just deeply, deeply responding to and is so traumatized by this whole thing that having somebody there who can a understand it and b whose opinion you don't really care about. You don't she doesn't care what he thinks about her. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's so interesting. But um, moving on to the things that like are maybe not as great. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about this demon metaphor. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. OK. <laughs> oh, boy. Let me just let me just 
scroll through 75 pages of notes and find I my... I know. Okay. We had right. so much about this. Okay. Yeah. Well, because at first, well, mm-hmm. at first this demon is kind of monster of the week. Yes. Except mm-hmm. that it's not because it mm-hmm. is textually connected to this super big, powerful, really questionable spell. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think what what I find fascinating about the way the demon is brought into the episode is that the first evidence of the demon, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is the faces in Buffy's photos turning to skeletal faces. Right. But this could also be Buffy's attempt to reconcile her current situation with her new and complicated relationship to mortality, maybe? I think that's a really nice, interesting read of that, which I really would have loved if that was textually what it meant. But basically, the show is using the music and all the cues, you know, um, to say that this is the first sign of the demon. Like textually, I would say that the show intends that to be the demon, but it's the only time that the demon is expressed in this particular way. And this demon really is the Swiss army knife of demons. Like it presents in whatever way we want it to. Like, you know, like there's nothing consistent. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... And the demon seems to know, like, the demon has knowledge of the spell because the demon is from the spell. I mean, Mm -hmm. when the demon as Buffy appears to Willow and Tara, it's apparently referring to Willow's killing of the fawn when it says, did you cut its throat? Did you pat its head? Uh, Yeah. It's weird. And the thing is that, again, here's our Swiss army knife, right? You know, so we have like, we have this demon possessing others, right? And they do the same thing and they say the same thing. And Dawn even spits fire for reasons of I don't know. Um, but when Just it's Buffy. from hellness of it, right. I guess. <laughs> but when it's Buffy, it's just a shared hallucination that it is giving to both Tara and Willow. And so why is it a hallucination in some circumstances, but actual possession of people in others? Um, I don't understand. Why when it's it's why can't it just hang out and watch it knows what's going on right it's it's slithering this subcutaneous you know blob (laughs) underneath all the surfaces right yeah um that it can just hang out there and listen it doesn't need to pop into xander say thanks for the chip because it's why does it need to tip them off that it knows now how it gets better like like that's not something from the demon's perspective that really works toward its goals you know um so it is such a weird demon that that does whatever we want it to do in any particular moment but there is nothing consistent about it which makes it harder to kind of suss out what the what the actual metaphor of this thing is i mean i like Kind of, sort of, that when it's not embodied, the demon is the slithering Mm -hmm. lump that's kind of reminiscent of the crawly things under Under, Willow's skin during Mm -hmm. the spell. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not, as far as, as far as special effects go, like, visually, it's not my favorite. Um, But I think it's great foreshadowing for the kind of thing this is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when all you have is a hammer, every demon looks like a subcutaneous lump. I mean, you know? yeah. If that's if that's what you've got all you know queued up in your After Effects, you're just like why we don't we make it a lump? Trick. Like we did, we already did it for Willow's arms. Let's use it again because we spent a lot of time on this. Let's use it. You know, we learned uh, this so, trick. Yeah. Let's let's do it again. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I mean, okay. So what I what I like mm-hmm. is that the demon was made 
The demon was made by the spell. Mm -hmm. So it knows the questionable nature of the spell. Right. Right. So like Mm -hmm. Dawn asks why if they made the demon, can they not see it? They just see themselves, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, doing stuff. And I want to say, because the metaphor works better that way. (laughs) Like (laughs) Like what they're seeing Mm-hmm. is themselves doing stuff because that is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like that right. is the shadow side of this whole Buffy resurrection plan. Right. But I learned something about myself with this episode. And yes. that is that when it comes to explanations for supernatural things, I am incredibly inconsistent. <laughs> Willow's explanation of what the demon is in this episode seems to undermine the metaphor a little bit for me. And I'm almost bummed mm-hmm. that it didn't just like remain a mystery so that we could wonder about the demon as some sort of shared anxiety mm-hmm. yeah because the manifestation w- of yeah anxiety. like yeah. willow mm-hmm. because willow is all upset over why if everything went so well is buffy not happy mm-hmm. and Buffy has this anxiety that the demon itself later articulates when it says, you don't belong here. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what? Just leave it. Just like, let it be a mystery here. (laughs) But when the knights of business in the front party in the back are like, (laughs) Glory has to share the body of a human male infant. I'm like, hold on. Explain how. How does that work? So there you go. I am terribly inconsistent with my demand for details and or explanation. That's All right. I would actually argue that you're not and here's why um glory and ben's shared existence doesn't really work as a metaphor it's not presented as a metaphor it's an explanation of a story device used to show why glory isn't always around you know and like what's going on with with that and to have that moment of <gasps> when oh, we see shit. that glory is ben and ben is glory right <laughs> so um but th- the thing is it's also a body thing with glory and ben it's this very physical thing and you have knowledge of and a tremendous amount of curiosity about the body so you would naturally ask those questions and need more and be like well whatever the fuck with this right (laughs) but the demon which is basically a multi-dimensional lanyap has all the hallmarks of a good metaphor so in your brain you snap it into that place something you're willing to accept because a metaphor doesn't have to make logical like physical sense it just needs to be consistent and i would argue that this one is not consistent so I question it a lot. Um, meanwhile, with Gloria and Ben, I'm just like, whatever. They share a body. All right, fine. <laughs> right? So like you and I are actually like a reverse of that. I, I think it. because I of the things. I love it's a reversal. Right. Because of the things that we are personally like uh, interested in and knowledgeable about. And for me, it's story devices. And for you, it's the body and the physical experience, you know, which I think is so interesting because I never think about the body and physical experience until you start talking about it on this show. And I love it because now I will. So, <laughs> so then we have a we have a demon that doesn't mm-hmm. have a body right right mm-hmm. until it's but it has to be given one so that buffy can defeat it and i mean i like it yeah. and i'm curious i'm so curious about this demon right because it tells buffy you don't belong here which uh-huh. is true right so 
is everything the demon says true? I mean, it's mean because it's a demon, but like, is it? Well, yeah. Is it right? Like, is <laughs> the it correct? Demon subscribes like, to the brutal honesty thing, I mean, which people yeah. subscribe to when they are more interested in brutality than honesty. But totally. still, yes. <laughs> also, P.S. Female demon or feminine Ish a feminine demon. presenting a feminine, feminine presenting demon, which I think is interesting, and is that because it it was created through feminine power and um w- in relation to a feminine presenting, you know. Buffy. I mean, it's a specifically like we talk up the the willow centricness mm-hmm. of this spell, right? Like right. this is willow's this is willow's power. This is willow's idea. Mm-hmm. It's you know. It's a big deal for her specifically. Yeah. In a in a selfish way. And mm-hmm. then it becomes about her ego in this episode when she's wondering why Buffy isn't grateful. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, you know, Buffy's anxiety about Yeah. Here I am like I I was somewhere where I felt whole mm-hmm. despite being incorporeal (laughs) and now i'm here in this body but i but i'm no longer whole like it's yeah there's metaphor potential there there is it's just it's a little muddy you know and i think like actually it's, it's funny because i actually use this demon a lot when i'm talking about um like particular psychological things like the when you talk about something that is bothering you or the you know trauma that you're processing or whatever, you make it corporeal, right? And then you can fight it, but you can't fight it until you have given it form, until you have like looked at it and and figured out what it is, you know? Um, and it's funny because I had a recent experience with that like just last week where I was explaining that to somebody. And I was like, you know that episode of Buffy, you know? Um, <laughs> and of course he did uh, because he's my friend. So um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of funny. I love that part of the metaphor that you can't fight something until you give it form. You can't fight something until you understand its edges, right? Um, And so being able to make it corporeal and then she can fight it, I think is actually really, really cool. But the rest of the demon, though, is so inconsistent. It's both physically real and yet hallucinatory in nature. Um, And so I don't, I don't particularly care for it, but the thing, there was a thing that you said, like one of my favorite things to do as a story expert, it's like when something doesn't work, find a way, how would I make it work? How would I, how would I do this? You know, how I can, love you, this how can game. you fix it? Right. I love the fix it game. Um, and then there was a thing that you said about their anxieties, about manifestations yeah, of their anxieties, which I think yeah, is really it's a manifest- interesting. Yeah. It's a manifestation. So it tells the, the demon tells the truth apparently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it seems to be telling everyone their own anxieties about their current situation yeah so you know like it tells willow and tara basically you fucked with forces that you shouldn't have and it tells buffy you don't belong here you weren't given a choice in the matter Yeah. All true. Like, really true. true. And it's really interesting. And I absolutely love this idea. And so when I was thinking about how I would fix it, I stole that. And I hope that's okay. Um, (laughs) Because the thing is that manifestation of anxiety is different from manifestation of fears, like we've seen in episodes like Nightmares and Fear Itself, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Anxiety is quiet. Anxiety whispers. Anxiety gets you, like, a fear. You might have a fear of something external happening to you, of, you know, somebody, like, killing you 
you or hurting you or, or having to be in a play that you are entirely <laughs> unprepared for, which we know Willow is very afraid of. Um, but anxiety attacks from within. Anxiety gives you doubt. Anxiety, you know, like messes with your head. Um, so it gets you inside at your core. And most of all, it isolates you um, and gets at you when you're alone, making you more alone. But this thing has shared hallucinations, which are essentially communal and community is a source of comfort. You know, your community, your people are a source of comfort. So the very fact that these hallucinations are shared and that part of the demon exposition here is that if Buffy dies, it gets to be a real boy, then the demon whispering <laughs> in everyone's ears that Buffy came back wrong and they must kill it, that's speaking to anxiety, like especially Willow. So that's what the demon was doing doing, you know, was whispering that doubt into Willow that she was going to have to do it. Um, it would be really interesting. It would also ignore Buffy, right? Because it doesn't, mm -hmm. it's not concerned with Buffy. It, it would isolate her while having all the shared hallucinations with everybody else or having the, the whispering with everybody else. Then that makes sense out of Spike's speech to Xander, which just sort of sits there and we don't really do that much with it. If Willow knew that if Buffy came back wrong, she'd have to kill her, and she knew that Spike wouldn't let her, that pulls that back in, right? Mm -hmm. So this is how I would I would do it, right? Okay. Yeah, Buffy come back. Act one is pretty much the same, except as they're walking in the alleyway, we hear something like a whisper. We maybe don't hear what it says, but we hear something like a whisper. We see an expression on Willow's face, maybe some sort of very subtle visual effect, you know? And then Willow says that was Buffy, right? And somebody else says, or something that looks a lot like her, so that we're sowing that doubt mm -hmm. and that anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then when Willow and Tara are talking that night, you would get the same visual effect in the whispering sound, and Tara asks, are you worried she didn't come back right and we see that doubt in willow's eyes after hearing this idea presented from spike that willow knew that she might have to kill buffy right and the thing is that suggestion in stories are an incredibly powerful device because humans are hardwired to find patterns. So when a pattern is presented to us, we lean into it and try to discern. So that's why if you just leave little breadcrumbs for, you know, as writers, any of the writers out there, here's leave little breadcrumbs for your audience hinting at what is there rather than explicitly stating what is there, mm -hmm. you know, um, because we are going to put those pieces together. And I think that that would have been more powerful to have this suggestion of what this thing is doing rather than this, you know, subcutaneous lump or whatever the <laughs> hell that is. Um, so you've got Willow and we're getting a sense because we just heard what Spike said that she is prepared to kill Buffy if Buffy came back wrong. So here we are. The Buffy bot is gone. We finally got Sarah Michelle Geller back. And the idea that they could kill her again is going to be really horrifying. Right. You know. Right. Um, but we also know that Spike's ready to protect Buffy, even if she did come back wrong. And there I point to my argument textually throughout the rest of the season that he actually would have liked that because it would have kept her in the dark with him. And I think that even if she wasn't the Buffy that he fell in love with that he would still remain like he would like that because it would instead of forcing him into the light which we see that interplay at the end of this oh, episode yeah. right instead of forcing him into the light where he can't be he could bring her into the he shadow because she keep can her in the darkness the with him forever yes. yeah yes yeah. exactly so I think that he would have actually been okay with that which is another reason why he wouldn't let Willow kill her if she did come back wrong so here we have this this like setup of two sides within this Scooby group, right? Then you bring in Xander's doubts about Willow, which we do have textually expressed in this episode, his worries that Willow was prepared to get rid of Buffy if it went sideways, and he'd be with Team Spike, 
we protect Buffy, right? right? Anya, ever the pragmatist, would want to get rid of Buffy if Buffy was going to kill them all. And that would have sowed some wonderful conflict between her and Xander, which I would have liked to see. Also could nicely feed into Hell's Bells later in the season. Um, plus Tara, we've got Willow's side, right? Because oh, yeah. it's Willow. But Tara starting to question and wondering what the actual fuck, right? You know, then yeah. Dawn, who would be completely unwilling to even consider the idea. So you'd have Dawn with Spike and Xander. And then you've got Anya and Willow and Tara on the other side and you got Buffy in the middle right you know and I like the idea of we've got this you know like Marvel Civil War kind of like where we've got this group (laughs) that's like fighting each other you know and then Buffy in the middle and kind of being on Willow's side can you imagine in the middle of all of this if she just stands there ready to let Willow kill her because she wants to go back not saying that not expressing that explicitly but we see her not fighting to live not fighting to stay and dawn would see that too and dawn's gonna fucking notice that shit right you know yeah so then you have dawn be the one who figures out the tomogenesis because dawn's experiences have made her grow up fast you know and she's the only one it can't whisper to because she has no fucking time for it and i would give (laughs) cash money for a scene where dawn storms into willow's room with a book and says you undo it this way and explaining it and saving buffy through that and dawn being the one who saves buffy which Um, would be so dope because dawn has been interested in witchcraft all along absolutely absolutely i mean there is there is a bit of willow in dawn i think you can see some you know some resonances there you know um so yeah so like i if that had been this episode it would be one of my favorite episodes in the whole thing the idea of the manifestation of anxiety and anxiety manifests within us not outside of us fears are things we're worried about like outside of us right but the, mm-hmm. the anxiety is within us you know and the turn them all against each other then what spike says to xander makes sense that xander's on Spike's side would be really interesting that there would be this uh this you know conflict between anya and xander and putting them on different sides of this thing um i love all of that and then dawn being the one to come in and save the fucking day because her sister is not going to die again you know um what do we say to the god of death dawn right you know um so yeah like i just i thought about the whole thing and your your idea about these anxieties the manifestation of anxiety just loved it It it's so brilliant and i think that made that would make that so much better and then at the end we can still have the make it corporeal and you can fight it Right. So once we get over this whole thing, they do the same thing. They do the same, you know, Willow and Tara do the same uh, spell. They make the the um, demon corporeal. Buffy kills it, you know, because she sees Dawn's response, you know, to the idea of her wanting to die. And when we see her not fighting in that one moment and, and being like, yeah, go ahead. You know, like, I mean, that would be really disconcerting, too. I I just I I think it would work so much better. So, yeah, I would have really enjoyed that. I like see it's all fixable <laughs> it's all fixable. most everything is most everything is I mean this is like all you know let me just say Monday morning quarterbacking um, <laughs> it's a lot easier to take something that somebody else created and fix it than it is to create something in yourself and I know I've said this a million times but when it comes to creator and critic uh, creator wins every day twice on Sundays I just want to say that uh, so it's like it's not easy to write on a TV show or to do it at this at this schedule the kind of hectic schedule 
that they've got. I've had 20 years to think about this episode. Uh, they have like a week <laughs> to write it. Um, so all of that said, I just want I want a little bit of that in there as I come in here and Monday morning quarterback and say, this would have been so much better if I'd written it. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't, because I would have fucked up other stuff. Um, and I might not have seen this either. Like, you know, it's just it's it's very, very hard to do that stuff. So I just want that said. It's fun to Monday morning quarterback, but it is so much easier than everything else involved in creating anything. So anyway, that's anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yes. But like speaking of speaking of writers mm-hmm. and what they're doing and what they're yes. setting up. I'm going to throw out one of those wild, still pretty theories. I love it. OK. I love Here it, it goes. Goes like this. <laughs> Afterlife mm-hmm. marks the point on Buffy when the Willow Tara relationship breaks. <gasps> yes. And of course it breaks uh-huh. during a spell. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. you mentioned Tara a moment ago and how mm-hmm. she is deeply Team Willow in this episode, but there's yes. also those doubts creeping mm-hmm. in, right? Like she's so she's so sweet and tender mm-hmm. with Willow when they're alone together at bedtime. Yeah. And she says, it doesn't all have to be good and fine. This is the room where you don't have to be brave. And I still love you. If you're worried, you can be worried. Oh, my God. Okay, we talk about all the great Spike stuff, but this is such a wonderful thing for Tara to say. Tara is so Team Willow that I think Tara is almost not Team Tara. (laughs) Oh, for sure. You know? For sure. Mm -hmm. Like, Tara, Tara gives Willow this wonderful, like, there's this wonderful bid for connection. Yeah. Like, you can tell me. And mm-hmm. I still love you. She is ready for this, yeah. you know, like all of all of the uncertainty and anxiety mm-hmm. that Willow yeah. might be feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it doesn't it doesn't show up in that way. Right. It shows yeah. up as Willow being like, well, but I did the right thing and Buffy's not happy, mm-hmm. which. Yeah. Willow's under- solipsism there is kind mm-hmm. of amazing. I mean, I understand it. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll get into Especially this. because she's, if you're thinking about ring theory, right? Yeah. There's the person who's traumatized. And you can speak to the people who are outside your ring. And I think yeah. it would go Tara, Willow, you know, Buffy. And I think that's okay. Right? But I think that that perspective, though, seeps in when she's talking to Buffy as well. Oh, it does. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, and, and it rubs off on everyone else, too. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like... Yeah. You know, but like be ha- like your home, be happy. Yeah, like literally, they say. Yeah, you can be happy now. And right? Like, what? How? How do they expect uh, her to be happy? Exactly. Yeah. But so, so Willow and Tara mm-hmm. are like kind of. You see them kind of in sync, kind of not. Mm-hmm. As as Tara is inviting Willow to kind of share a little bit more about what she's feeling and what she's going yeah. through. And you can see Willow holding back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tara has to kind of push her to get the the yeah. the connect, you know, the the information out of her, the the feelings out mm-hmm. of her. Um and then, you know. When they figure out what the demon is, when Willow figures mm-hmm. out what the demon is, yeah. Willow and Tara explain together mm-hmm. how it works and, right. you know, what it's called. And uh, off screen, mm-hmm. they craft this badass spell to make yeah. the thing corporeal so Buffy can mm-hmm. fight it. And I say badass because the spell is long. 
Yeah. And it is wordy Mm -hmm. and it rhymes like crazy (laughs) and they are in it together. They are totally in sync until Willow closes her eyes and effectively leaves Tara by -hmm. letting go of her hands. I mean, we know the power of of hand holding Mm -hmm. in this relationship. We've seen it multiple times with these two. Mm -hmm. And then Willow jumps to the end of the spell with those all black eyes again Mm -hmm. and just says solid Mm -hmm. which does it one word does it but it's clearly not the spell that willow and tara intended to cast yeah and it's also pointedly willow acting on her own Mm -hmm. she has broken like literally broken contact with tara in order to skip to the end of this spell And do it herself Mm -hmm. rather than work as a team, which speaks to, I think, the the beginning of the end of this relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're definitely seeding the end of the relationship. Yeah. And specifically the way in which powerful magic and Willow's relationship to her magic Mm -hmm. will supersede her relationship with Tara and separate her from her friends. And I think it's done really, really well. I think so, too. Um, Here's the thing that I find interesting, though. Like, you were saying last week that it didn't seem consistent to you that Tara would go along with Willow's plan, like, especially after everything that we set up in Forever, and she was objecting to Dawn, trying to bring Joyce back, you know. And Willow, of course, at that point, lied about having helped Dawn get the books, you know. Mm-hmm. And when Xander asked Willow if she knew what might happen in this episode, that Buffy might come back wrong, Willow doesn't answer. We talked about that. Tara defends her. You know, no, Willow is a talented witch and she would never do anything to hurt anyone. Um, all of this. And I think that, you know, as we move forward in the season, we go to the end of All the Way, which is right before um, the events of uh, Once More with Feeling, um, that Willow has used this spell to make Tara forget their fights and to make Tara forget get her um you know her mm-hmm. objections what mm-hmm. if what if at the end of all the way that isn't mm-hmm. the first time that willow had done that um and i think that yeah. to me to me i see willow um you know basically saying that her judgment supersedes tara's when she secretly gives dawn the book to lead her to the spell for joyce and lies to tara about it so for me like that is the moment for me when willow and tara start to fall apart yeah yeah i mean tara does seem increasingly out of sync with her own like what we know of Tara. Mm-hmm. And it does suggest that, you know, and it doesn't even have to be magical manipulation. Yeah. Like it mm-hmm. could just be power imbalance in the relationship and what happens mm-hmm. when one person is dominant over the other in a way that is pervasive and mm-hmm. effective. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But. Oh, it makes me so sad. As I much as I know. love as much as I love the relationship, the growing relationship between Willow and Magic. Mm-hmm. And how complicated that is for her because she feels so great about it. Right. But and we'll see I don't know if it's next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. That horrible horrible conversation with Giles. Oh, yeah. where 
you know that she knows that he's right, but mm-hmm. she's also she just wants somebody mm-hmm. on her side about how great it feels yep. to be this powerful. It's yep. Oh, it's rough. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to see like when that relationship starts to fall apart. But there was also something that you were uh, talking about in your notes that I thought was really interesting. We were talking about like through the looking glass. So what do you got on that? Okay, so there mirrors and the idea of mirroring. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked a little bit about mirroring with Mm -hmm. Buffy and Spike and that relationship. Um, But we also get some actual mirrors in this episode in a way that I think is interesting and meaningful. Um, Another one of the things that we haven't talked about in the, that appears in the Mm -hmm. previously on is Buffy coming back into her body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, here I go with the physical body stuff, right? I love it. I love Um, that you do this because I never think about it. It's always so interesting. So we see Buffy coming back into her body in her coffin after her body comes back from having mm-hmm. decomposed yeah like it's it's actually pretty brutal um mm-hmm. it would be like that alone is some really significant gnarly magic but the mm-hmm. special effect also suggests that it all happens simultaneously so buffy's soul her essence her consciousness whatever comes back into her body as her body is Mm -hmm. recomposing yeah i mean it's an interesting like it's a it's a neat special effect Mm um i go back and watch it if you haven't seen it recently (laughs) but then buffy spends a good chunk of this episode Mm -hmm. looking at herself in the mirror I mean, she hasn't seen herself in the mirror for almost five months for a number of reasons, right? Yeah, longer for her, right? <laughs> yeah, true. She has no real concept of yes. time. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever she was, she was herself, but formless. I think mm-hmm. that's important right. to our understanding of like her relationship to mm-hmm. her body and mirrors um, in this episode. I mean, she seems to be revisiting the mirror stage of Lacanian psychoanalytic theory. <laughs> You know, the relationship between the imaginary and the real and, you uh-huh. know, theory that's over 100 years old and has mm-hmm. been, you know, reimagined and, and uh, disproven many times, <laughs> but continues to hold a special uh-huh. place in the hearts and minds of um, film theorists mm-hmm. because film theory and psychoanalytic theory just love to get all enmeshed and creepy and it's wonderful. But uh-huh. Anyway, (laughs) more directly, Buffy is experiencing Mm self-consciousness again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean that in the critiquing of her body sort of way. Mm -hmm. I mean, being able to look into a mirror and see this whole complete form Mm -hmm. that is effectively objectified in the mirror that over there Mm -hmm. is me yeah it's a gnarly psychological space to be in yeah Mm -hmm. um you know and then we go from willow saying you know she's fine she's normal she used to go to bed all the time which i really enjoy (laughs) yes she's back to looking in the mirror in a different room of the house. I really mm-hmm. wish I really wish that we had a mirror three beat. I really right. do. Because yeah. it's 
it is so crucial to our understanding of like where Buffy is now Mm -hmm. as opposed to where she was. And I think maybe maybe the three beat is meant to be when she opens up to spike but that Mm -hmm. doesn't quite work because there's no visual of the mirror but this idea of like Mm -hmm. traveling traveling through the frame of the mirror into a sense of her body Mm -hmm. as embodied and of course we have a demon that can't be fought until it's embodied again Mm -hmm. big metaphor big imagery that we didn't quite explore fully but there's I don't know. There's something there's something really um creepy mm-hmm. <laughs> about this idea that Buffy has to reckon with her physical body mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And off the yeah. top of my head, I can't remember if we address that later in this in in this season. Mm-hmm. About, I mean, we hear we hear her say that wherever she was, she thinks she was in heaven, that she was not, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't have a physical form, but she was still herself. Right. So bringing the consciousness back into the physical body, I don't know. There's something there. And then, That's of course, interesting. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, our physical bodies are the ways, you know, the really the only way in which we have to be in community and in relationship with other people and Mm-hmm. There's something here. There's something going on here. That's no, that's all I, I like got. it. Hold on to that though. As we move through the season, keep an eye out for how mirrors are used because you know one of the things that you know, like we were talking about, how Spike has no reflection, right? But he sees himself reflected in the people. Everybody sees themselves reflected in the people around them. And Buffy can, like, when she goes to the crypt, there's no mirror there, but she sees herself reflected in Spike, who has a reflective injury that he has actually put on his own hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's something yeah. there. I think there's definitely something there's there. Something I think it's there. really interesting. So keep an eye on that as we move through the season because it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm interested in that kind of perspective on it. Um, but for right now, I think we're about ready to finish this up. So, Noelle, what was your favorite part? Oh, man, it's a tie for me. It's yeah. either Spike noticing Buffy's hands and knowing what it means mm-hmm. or it's I can be alone with you here. Oh. <laughs> so I good. can be alone with you here is so good. Yeah. That's so good. What about you? What's your favorite part? When Spike sees Buffy. I, I honestly, <laughs> out of the whole show, that is like one of my top five like favorite moments in all of Buffy. When he sees her again, realizes it's her, that wash of emotions over his face is just unbelievable. It's so good. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our September producers, Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers, it doesn't have to be all good and fine. This is the room where you don't have to be brave. And I still love you. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or leave a hole in the middle of some soggy group hug. <laughs> we'll be back next time with Flooded, the fourth episode of season six. Until then, it's hard to get a good night's death around here. Mm-hmm.